the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Bill Bunkley Show on FM 93.7, 103.1, and AM 930. The Answer. Good afternoon and welcome to this Friday edition of the Bill Bunkley Show. We are honored to have you with us this afternoon as we are broadcasting once again all across West Central Florida. And today we've got an interesting show lined up for you. Uh, right now we're simulcasting on all of our stations, on our Faith Talk stations, our Answer stations, and on the Biz. We've also got live apps ready to go. We have iHeartRadio and real-time streaming, and we always recommend that. So call a friend and invite them to join us. Today we're going to have an opportunity to learn about an individual who's going to be traveling the globe. That's right, to find out exactly what the globe thinks about America. And how about this idea of American exceptionalism? My next guest to right now is Larry Taunton, and he is the founder and executive director of Fixed Point Foundation. And uh, guess what? He's going to be going around the world in 80 days. He's going to be writing. He's going to be exploring this idea of American exceptionalism. And um, he is the founder and executive director of Fixed Point Foundation. In that role, he has debated, organized, or chaired debates on science, religion, and ethics at Trinity College, Oxford <clears throat> University, the Edinburgh International Festival, the Melbourne Town Hall in Melbourne, Australia, Princeton University, and the Oxford Museum of Natural History. He was born at Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, he currently divides his time between the United States and Europe. And uh, Larry Talton, it is good to have you with us this afternoon. Hey, it's delightful to be with you, Bill. Let's go ahead and start our discussion on uh, the Fixed Point Foundation. Just exactly what is your foundation before we uh, get into uh, this project of traveling the world? Yes, Bill. Well, I'm a, um, I'm a cultural commentator and author. Um, I... Uh, I uh, wrote uh, a book called The Grace Effect for HarperCollins, and then last year a book called, as, uh, as you've noted, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, which I am, uh, am honored to say the Gospel Coalition named a, uh, a Book of the Year award winner. So, um, I, you know, we engage on issues of, uh, of faith and culture, and um, those issues might range from atheism or, uh, or Islam and science to this whole idea of American exceptionalism. Well, of course, President Trump uh, has um, reinstituted uh, the idea of making America great again. Uh, it's astounding to me that that is uh, controversial in some areas. But this whole idea <laughs> about Americanism and American exceptionalism, uh, do you think that um, it's over do you think that uh, the president's going to make some strides here? And more important, um, what do you expect to, to learn or be immersed in once you begin to stopping in different places around the globe and having this very conversation uh, with the people groups that are, are going to be uh, a part of your journey? 
Sure. Um, you know, what we're doing here, uh, Bill, is we're, we're exploring the whole idea of America's uniqueness and uh, whether or not, you know, the, the narrative that we consistently hear from the left is that America is out of step with the, the rest of the world, that America, uh, in those places where she is exceptional, um, her uh, desire to protect um, uh, borders, uh, maintain national sovereignty, a skepticism of the uh, of the uh, the global warming, climate change, um, hysteria. Uh, these are all areas where America uh, is exceptional in a very bad way, and that uh, that America is indeed bad for the world. Now, that's that's one argument that's being posited now, and it's quite interesting that that we should have uh, have timed. Um, this journey um, that would coincide with what's going on in our country, because it, it really strikes me that what has begun with a, uh, a kind of a revision, a reevaluation of America's history um, and the pulling down of, uh, of statues of Confederate generals is now uh, advancing towards um, the, uh, the founding fathers themselves, because uh, they, they were slave owners, and perhaps we need to, to blast them off of, uh, of Mount Rushmore. And it just seems to me that, that the next statue, um, to go down metaphorically, if, if, if not literally, uh, will be the Statue of Liberty uh, mm. itself. And so this begs a very interesting question. Um, is America um, uh, worth saving? Is there some other place in the world that's better? So we're launching... This trip, this journey at this time, where I'm literally in June, uh, Jules Verne manner going around the world in 80 days to compare America to um, other countries in the world. I'm going to hit six continents, 23 countries, and uh, see how America stacks up. I mean, is, is, this, a, is this a country that's, that's worth preserving? Um, or should we just uh, burn it to the ground Ferguson style as some would have us do? Mm. Very, very interesting indeed. If you're just joining us, my guest this afternoon uh, is author, cultural commentator, Larry Taunton. And he's going to be traveling around the world in 80 days to write about and explore the idea of America exceptionalism. I want to give you his website if you're by your home or office PC. Uh, that is uh, L-A-R-R-Y-A-L-E-X-T-A-U-N-T-O-N.com. That's LarryAlexTaunton.com, and we'll give that out to you again in just a moment. As I was sitting here thinking, Larry, you know, uh, I think there's been a lot um, explored, written, and said over the last decade or two uh, in terms of uh, America when it has tried to do nation-building, and we've had this discussion about how democracy is accepted or rejected in other areas of the world where we have tried to implement our values. But it occurs to me that some of the questions you're going to be asking in this, this big tent of American exceptionalism, when you drill down, you're talking about uh, things that uh, are, are very much important to us in America. It could be uh, religious liberty. It could be all these uh, subsets of issues uh, that are part of who we are. And so as you're talking and as you're going into some of these areas, including, uh, you know, health care and what their immigration policies are, uh, this is a very interesting approach you're taking that I, I haven't necessarily 
ever heard of someone else ever doing this sort of um, fact-gathering and then bringing back and, and letting us see what the world really thinks of us? Well, you know, you might think of it like this. In 1831, Alexis de Tocqueville, the, the, uh, the French political philosopher, came to America to, to search out the source of her greatness. And the result of that, as you well know, is a, uh, is a classic work called Democracy in America. It's still relevant in oh so many ways. What I am doing is a reverse de Tocqueville. Rather than coming, uh, rather than 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 uh, going around America, searching out America's greatness, I'm going to the world, and in comparing America to the rest of the world, uh, because uh, as somebody who's already been around the world um, many times, um, I just came back um, less than a week ago from three months abroad. Um, I, you know, I, I find that that what PGO reports once amusingly observed um, to be true, and that is this, that at American embassies you find two lines. One, one is, is that of people who are burning the American flag, and the other is of people trying to get visas to America. Uh, um, America, uh, it seems to me, um, uh, remains, I begin with the tentative thesis on this trip, that America remains a beacon of hope um, to the world, that America... America's influence is alternately um, very good and uh, occasionally evil. But that evil influence in the world has nothing to do with um, the principles upon which America was founded. That is to say, uh, for example, um, Obama's administration and, uh, and also the Clinton administration uh, bullied the third world on, uh, under the guise of, uh, of, um, of, of human how did they put it, uh, you know, uh, human rights. Uh, they bullied the third world on issues like uh, the homosexual agenda and, uh, and abortion. Now, I would say that those are, that those are examples of, of America's influence being quite evil in the world. Uh, but in oh so many other ways, America's influence has been good. I mean, I take, for example, um, the Marshall Plan, which rebuilt, uh, Europe after the Second World War, unprecedented in history. Japan, which is uh, uh, which prior to World War II was a, um, a an emperor worshipping feudal society, which is now a um, a burgeoning um, democracy. Well, th- these are things that are a result of uh, of America's influence. So, as we consider um, punishing America for her sins and whether or not her influence, whether or not she's worth preserving seems to me that, that a global perspective might be helpful to us in understanding, okay, uh, if, if, if we do burn it all down, what are the options? Where are we going to go? Or to put it another way, if Alec Baldwin were to leave the country as he once promised he would, where would he go? Absolutely interesting. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, Larry Talton is uh, with us today. He's getting ready to embark on an 80-day journey around the world to write about and explore the idea of American exceptionalism. Got a couple minutes left, uh, Larry. Give us an idea of um, what countries you're going to visit and how did you determine which countries were going to be the best to give us an idea of this uh, global view on American exceptionalism? Well, that's a great question. Um, I could tell you the countries I'm going to, but then I'd have to kill you. And uh, and the, uh, the that would be a bad way to... Yeah, let's not do that today. Itself. So... Um, <laughs> 
Um, in, in part, again, uh, as you've noted, um, your listeners can follow this journey on Twitter. I'm, uh, I'm very active on Twitter, Larry Taunton, T-A-U-N-T-O-N, or they can go to the website, Larry Alex Taunton, T-A-U-N-T-O-N, LarryAlexTaunton.com, and I will be serializing this with a number of articles that will also be on Daily Caller, uh, and I'll be uh, tweeting uh, out video links and so on on this journey. But uh, in answer to your question as to which countries I would visit, if you and I were to make a short list of those countries that we would think are the primary rivals to America for world's greatest country, I think we would come up with very similar lists. I think uh, we would probably say Scandinavia is pretty important to um, to visit. This is a place where some say that uh, that socialism works. Some um, Switzerland is a country that many often um, mention. France, which was an, a a model for um, for Barack Obama. Um, some would suggest that uh, you know China is the future of democracy, and I don't see much evidence of that. But there are those who um, who would say that Japan. Uh, Americans are, are giving up citizenship to move to New Zealand, Australia. So uh, we could probably come up with very similar lists. But as people tune in uh, to LarryAlexTaunton.com or Larry Taunton on, uh, on, on Twitter, they'll be able to see where I pop up next. Because, again, I'm going to hit 23 countries on six continents. All right. Hey, to follow Larry, go right now to LarryAlexTaunton.com. That's LarryAlexTaunton.com, and uh, i tell you what, you can follow him on Twitter as well. Around the world in 80 days to write and explore the idea of American exceptionalism, I uh, suggest that all of you that are listening today follow this wonderful journey and to uh, catch his reporting. Larry Taunton, thank you so much for being with us. Look forward to following your journey. Hey, delighted to be with you. Thanks for having me. God bless you, my friend. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at Monday Solar Eclipse. Eric Christensen's going to be along. He is a senior research scientist with NASA, and we're going to talk about that most exciting opportunity for you and I next week. Don't go away. More of the Bill Bunkley Show. I'll be right back. AM 930, The Answer. Online at am930theanswer.com. If you're going to sit in front of a computer screen for a couple of hours at a stretch, why not make it worthwhile for your brain? Check out am860theanswer.com. Local headlines, national news, and conservative talk beats Candy Crush every time. am930theanswer.com. Don't let health issues hold you back from living an enjoyable life. Tune in to Crossroads of Health, hosted by Rick Simpson and Melody Martirana. Rick and Melody have a true passion for natural health and science-based supplements. Above all, Rick and Melody hope to arm you with the knowledge you need to make an informed decision on how to better your lifestyle. Crossroads of Health, where common sense and good science intersect. Crossroads of Health, Saturday afternoons at 1 on AM 930. The Answer. Paisano's Italian Bakery is your destination for delicious, decadent desserts. How about an eclair? A pastry filled with sweet, creamy custard and mountains of rich, melt-in-your-mouth chocolate icing on the top. Or try a Napoleon. Layers of puff pastry and creamy custard topped with the perfect amount of icing. And, of course, don't forget the favorites, tiramisu and cannoli to die for. Paisano's Gateway Shopping Center on Stickney Point, Sarasota. Paisano's yum. AM 930, stress saver, traffic report. 
Good afternoon. 75 northbound slow ride around University Parkway. More northbound delays right around State Road 70 and State Road 64 up to the Manatee River Bridge, the DeSoto Bridge, Business 41, and the Skyway all in pretty good shape. 301 southbound, earlier crash at 63rd Avenue still has north and southbound. A slow ride there. State Road 64, State Road 70, University Parkway, all trouble-free so far. Fruitville, Bee Ridge, Clark Road's in good shape. No problems on Tuttle, McIntosh, Proctor, or Swift. In Venice, have a slow ride on the Venice Bypass northbound as you approach Venice Avenue. I'm Dave Kosh on FM 93.7, 102.1, and AM 930, The Answer. back on this very, very special Friday afternoon, and uh, my next guest is going to tell us a little bit about the exciting happening that's going to be occurring on Monday. But first, instead of just talking about the solar eclipse on Monday, I want to tell you, you can witness an eclipse this weekend. And what I'm talking about, have you taken up my challenge to uh, take the drive to Rivard Buick GMC? You know, they are the number one Sierra dealer in all the state of Florida in July, and consistently the number one dealer all up and down the I-4 corridor. Now, I said you could see an eclipse this weekend. They are eclipsing all deals by being the number one volume dealer of Sierras. And so if uh, you're in the market for a truck, specifically a GMC Sierra, you need to check out Rivard Buick GMC. Now, I want to tell you that you can go right now to their website, Rivard Buick, Rivard-Buick-GMC. That's Rivard-Buick-GMC.com. Rivard-Buick-GMC.com to find out just how large those discounts are. You can call them right now at 813-620-6500. And remember, 14 sales specialists are waiting to see you, and they're going to take you all the way through the process. You won't be going to door number one, door number two, door number three. No, they take care of the entire transaction start to finish. And by the way, the uh, 2017 GMC Sierra I'm driving right now with the Premium Plus Pack. Got that deluxe interior. We'll cut $10,500 off the price right now, and I'd love to show it to you. So go to Rivard Buick GMC and get that refreshing experience and exceptional service you'll find nowhere else. And tell them Bill Bunkley sent you. Well, my next guest is uh, someone who knows a lot about the sun, the moon, and quite frankly, uh, it, is, it is his life's work. Eric R. Christian is a senior research scientist in the Hellespheric Laboratory at uh, NASA Goddard. And they're going to be talking about the eclipse that's coming up on the 21st. And uh, he's also lead scientist for the Energetic Particle Laboratory. Uh, he is the deputy pr- principal investigator for the Integrated Scientific Investigation of the Sun Instrument Suite on the Solar Probe Plus mission. And uh, between 2008, he worked at NASA headquarters as the program scientist for a number of missions, including the two Voyager spacecraft missions. With that, uh, Eric, it's good to have you with us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a big deal. A lot of time these eclipses, uh, well, they happen rather frequently, but most of the time they are out over the ocean. So America, as long as we don't have a cloudy day, is going to have some fun on Monday, aren't they? Yep. Uh, so eclipses have total solar eclipses happen about every 18 months somewhere on the planet. But this one that goes from coast to coast in the United States with everyone being able to see a partial eclipse is just going to be really terrific. 
Now, we're a little concerned. We're right here in West Central Florida, and I can tell you for about four or five days, all of those special ISO-approved uh, solar sunglasses, they've been sold out. And uh, I know with a lot of the schools, I know I'm picking up my son in the afternoon, but a lot of people, they don't have these glasses. I'm afraid that if uh, they don't heed the warnings, uh, they could be in uh, quite a bit of danger. Talk a little bit about that because I think that's the number one topic for us today. Well, it's important to to watch the eclipse safely because if you're in partial eclipse, even if the sun is mostly blocked, you can still permanently damage your retina by staring at the sun. And there are no pain sensors in the retina, so you could do it without even knowing it. But there are other safe ways to watch the eclipse, even if you don't have eclipse glasses. Pinhole cameras, there are some indirect methods, um, and the NASA website, eclipse2017.nasa.gov, has a bunch of suggestions so that even those who don't have eclipse glasses can get uh, can watch it, if it's not cloudy. <laughs> mm. Yes. Now, we're told that uh, here in our region, it's going to be about 81 or 82 percent. And uh, I've been reading some other articles about uh, even when you wear these glasses, it's going to be looking so small. Tell us a little bit for our particular region, since we won't be in the total blackout, what we can expect. So at 81 percent, you're going to start to see the light get dim. But it's only really when you get in totality that the really weird lighting conditions and dawn all the way around on the horizon happens. But still, I mean, if you, if you look up at the sun with eclipse glasses or do use an indirect, you'll see most of the sun blocked by the moon. And that's a pretty neat thing. There's also plenty of places on the web where you can watch what's happening in the totality, you know, even if you're completely clouded out, there's uh, NASA.gov Eclipse Live. Uh, I'm going to be working with a webcast from the Exploratorium in San Francisco. And so um, lots of opportunities for people to watch, even if they're clouds or even if they're not in totality. Hmm. Now, we won't experience it here, but even if we were, say, somewhere in the Smoky Mountains or somewhere where we were going to be in a 100 eclipse area, and there may be folks listening today He'll be making that trip. You still don't want to look at the sun at that moment anyway because you still have those rays coming around the sides, right? So once you get to totality, once the moon completely blocks the sun, you can take your glasses off because that's the time where you see the atmosphere of the sun, what we call the solar corona, with your naked eye. It's the only time you can ever do that. But the corona is a lot dimmer than the surface of the sun, which is why you can't normally see it. But but you don't need your glasses during totality. That's mm. one of the neat things about it. I didn't know that. Um, how about for you experts that are scientists, during these few moments that we have this eclipse, are there things that some other scientists who may not be hosting uh, some of the folks uh, watching at various observatories, are there scientific experiments that are going to be happening because of this uniqueness of, of this darkness? Yes, yeah, so there's there's all sorts of real science happening with eclipses. It turns out that the moon almost perfectly blocks the light of the sun. And so you can see this solar corona, the sol sun's atmosphere, almost all the way to the surface of the sun that you can't see in expensive coronagraphs, what, the telescopes we use to make fake solar eclipses in space. So there's real science that can be done. Plus, it's a way to test instruments when you're looking at the solar corona and, and other parts of the sun. And the Earth science part of NASA is doing a bunch of science on the atmospheric response to this big shadow that's moving across the country. And people 
people can actually the, Everyone can help them. There's a, an app from the Globe Group for NASA that you can, again, get from the eclipse2017.nasa.gov website where you can monitor the temperature locally, look at the clouds and what happens to them, and help NASA understand the Earth's atmosphere better. Mm. And last question, not necessarily in your area of expertise, but uh, what about the animals? What about uh, all of those creatures that are going to be experiencing this darkness? They're pretty used to the patterns. Uh, how do they react? So um, this is going to be my third total solar eclipse, and on the second one, I was on a remote island in the Pacific last year, and all the animals reacted as if it was a short night. You know, so the birds especially came in to roost, and then just a couple minutes later started doing this morning spiral dance that they do. So crickets are likely to react as if it's night. You know, maybe fireflies will come out. You know, so, uh, yeah, the animals react as if it's a very short night. They don't know any different. All right. Fascinating indeed. Eric R. Christian has been my guest today, senior research scientist in the Hellespheric Laboratory at NASA's Goddard uh, Space uh, laboratory. Thank you so much for being with us today, and uh, we wish you happy viewing in San Francisco on Monday. Yep. So I'm actually going to be in Casper, Wyoming, with the Exploratorium from San Francisco, but I hope you have clear skies. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Coming up next, author Don Brown joins me about the last fighter pilot. You don't want to miss this for all of our veterans. More the Bill Bunkley Show coming up. Don't go away. AM 930, The Answer. Online at am930theanswer.com. With SRN News, I'm Rich Thomason in Washington. President Trump parting ways with a man who played a key role in his successful presidential campaign. Mr. Trump's chief strategist, Steve Bannon, submitted his resignation today and the president accepted it. Boston and Dallas among big cities anticipating free speech rallies this weekend. Secretary of State Tillerson says one American died in yesterday's terror attack in Barcelona, Spain. In Wisconsin, the state assembly has passed a $3 billion package of tax breaks for Taiwan-based electronics giant Foxconn. The bipartisan vote sending the bill to the state Senate. On Wall Street today, stocks ended lower. The Dow was down about 76 points, closing at 21,674. The Nasdaq was off five. The S&P closed four points in the red. More details at srnnews.com. In this new reality of daily attacks on our conservative beliefs, family values, and our proud American way of life, it's important to remember you're not alone. November confirmed that, and we are with you. We are AM 930, The Answer. In 1967, Arab forces attempted to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Six days later, Israel had triumphed. Honor the 50-year anniversary of this historic triumph by joining Mike Gallagher and Dennis Prager for Stand with Israel, a nine-day odyssey celebrating Israel's past, present, and future. October 22nd through November 1st includes luxury accommodations and safe transportation. Stand with Israel. For information and reservations, visit StandWithIsraelTour.com. 
Shalom. It's me, Rabbi Barbara Aiello, your radio rabbi, inviting you to join me this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning at 8.30 for the Radio Rabbi program. This week, we'll find out about the Jewish heritage of Curious George and learn about a Polish cultural experience, a Jewish wedding without Jews. That's the Radio Rabbi program right here on AM 930 The Answer, FM 103.1 and 93.7, and brought to you by Sleep King of Sarasota. We'll see you then. This is Michael Medved, your cultural crusader, making it clear to you that you can hear my show, The Michael Medved Show, for all three hours now. Tonight, starting at 9 o'clock, right after Larry Elder. Now, of course, if you ever miss a program or if you want to hear the show live, you can always go to our website. Go to michaelmedved.com and find out how to access all kinds of other cool stuff. That's michaelmedved.com. And make sure to listen tonight at 9, right here on FM 93.7, 103.1, and AM 930, The Answer. AM 930, Stress Saver, Traffic Report. Good afternoon, 75 northbound delays, University all the way up to State Road 64, the DeSoto Bridge, some minor northbound delays across Business 41 and the Skyway looking good, Tamiami Trail northbound, a slow ride between 301 and 9th Avenue East. No problems on State Road 64 or 70. University Parkway is looking good and 301 northbound. A slow ride as you approach 63rd Avenue. Fruitville, Bee Ridge, Clark Road's all looking pretty good and not seeing much to slow your ride in the Venice area. 681, Tamiami Trail, Venice Avenue, Jack Randall Boulevard, all looking good. Dave Kosh on FM 93.7, 102.1, and AM 930, The Answer. A thunderstorm around this evening, otherwise mostly clear skies. Tonight's low, 79. Sunshine and a couple clouds with a thunderstorm in spots late, high, 92. Saturday, an early thunderstorm Saturday evening with partly cloudy skies to follow. Saturday night's low, 79. Couple showers and a heavy thunderstorm Sunday, high, 90. I'm Matt Roberts for FM 93.7, 103.1, and AM 930, The Answer. to the Friday edition of the Bill Bunkley Show, and uh, I've been looking forward to this interview, and uh, many of you know that a little connection in my family, uh, my father and mother both were veterans of World War II, both members of the Army Air Corps, Uh, dad was out in the Pacific Islands uh, on Canton Island, and uh, very well aware, they've both gone home to be with the Lord, but very well aware of many of our World War II veterans who have passed on. And today we have the unique opportunity not only to talk with uh, Don Brown, who has written a marvelous book along with Captain Jerry Yellen. It's entitled The Last Fighter Pilot, The True Story of the Final Combat Mission of World War II. And I want to tell you that um, Captain Jerry is still alive. We'll get to that story in just a moment. But first, uh, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Don Brown is the author of 14 books, including Treason, which is a bestseller from his acclaimed Navy Justice series. Brown received his degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and then his doctorate degree at Campbell University's Norman Adrian Wiggins School of Law. Now, Don Brown was an officer in the U.S. Navy for five years in the Judge Advocate General Corps, the JAG, 
and uh, then earned the Navy's non-resident certificate in international law at the United States Naval War College uh, up in Rhode Island. Today, he's a U.S. attorney, author, and father of three children. And, Don, I want to just thank you for being with us today, getting ready to really jump into this. But you had an experience with one of our local bands, so uh, I wanted you to share about that because uh, that's a great story in and of itself. Well, Bill, I was telling your producer and sharing with you, I love the, the Bay Area. I know you all are known for the, the Rays and the Bucks and, and all that. But about 30 years ago, I saw this band, the Largo High School Band of Gold, the best band that I had ever seen anywhere in the United States. They're directed by a guy named Bob Cotter. They were at the American Bowl that was in the old Tampa Stadium, which is now, I guess, where uh, you know the, the Bucks are playing mm-hmm. expanded. But they were incredible. And uh, played Barnum and Bailey's favorite, had like 12 tuba players and uh, – I know that they had gone to, to Europe and won international awards. And as a matter of fact, I didn't know it was going to be in your show, but I actually saw them on YouTube not long ago, one of those shows. So if any of the Largo High School Band of Bowl members are listening, I, you all are brilliant, and I wish I could see you play again. All right, the guys at Largo Band, that's your shout-out. That means you got to pay real close attention the next 15, 20 minutes. And uh, we're, uh, we're excited about that uh, revelation as well. I want to just tell you that I want to have a chance for our audience to really understand why this is important. There is so many, of course, we have Special Operations Command, Central Command. We have our wing here at MACDO Air Force Base that hosts the uh, refueling tankers. And uh, so many people have uh, all throughout West Central Florida have retired here. Uh, both commissioned, non-commissioned folks uh, of the armed forces, our, our, our military vets here are are just uh, great people. And I know that this greatest generation, the World War II guys and gals, I mean, literally hundreds of them are dying each and every day. But uh, to have an opportunity, Don, for you to sit down with Captain Jerry Yellen, it's not just that you're sitting down with one of, uh, of so many thousands of distinguished individuals. He also had a very important part of the conclusion of World War II in the Pacific Theater. First, uh, and by the way, uh, Captain Jerry Yellen is still alive, so let's start off with his age and tell us a little bit about uh, this man today, and then we'll take it back to uh, uh, those last days of the war. You bet. Well, first of all, uh, Bill, thanks to your mom and dad for their service. I know they're going to be with the war, but they're they're very much appreciated, as is everyone from that, that wonderful generation. Um, and, and you're right, Captain Yellen is still with us. He's 93 years old. Um, and a shout-out to all the guys and ladies at Bill Air Base down there. Captain Yellen, um, as far as your history, if you're listening, he, um, I had seen a video in the spring of 2015 that was sponsored by the U.S. Department of Defense. What had happened is that the United States military and the Japanese government had invited veterans of the Iwo Jima campaign back to Iwo Jima 70 years after the fact. U.S. Marines stormed that island. Uh, D-Day was February the 19th of 1945. And then um, and uh, and then after the island was taken by the Marines, we basically took that island to establish an air base because we needed P-51 coverage for the bombers flying from the Mariana Islands, flying B-29s bombing Japan. Really, we started the bombing runs under the command of General Curtis LeMay from Tinian, Saipan, and Guam in November of 44. But the problem was, Bill, that the bombers were coming in 
Um, you know, if you've seen that movie Memphis Bell, great movie, uh, even though that's been Hollywoodized a little bit, you understand the basic problem that we were having with our bombers in Europe. We were flying long-range bombers, mostly B-17s and B-24s from England, deep in the heart of Germany, but they were outflying their fighter covers, so they were getting shot up. Mm-hmm. So about the time Europe started to, to fall, after after D-Day, after Normandy, when the handwriting was, was on the wall, we began to shift assets more and more to the Pacific, and um, – and, uh, General LeMay, who had been Colonel, Colonel LeMay, was transferred to Pacific to basically conduct the long-range bombing operations up Japan, leading up to the planned invasion of Japan. And so we took Iwo Jima basically because it is halfway in, in the Pacific between the Mariana Islands and Tokyo. It's about 1,500 miles from the Mariana Islands, South uh, Tainan, uh, and Guam to Tokyo. And Iwo Jima is about halfway in between, about 750 miles out barely within the range of fighter planes of P-51s at the time. So that's why we took it. So going back to how I learned of Captain Yellen, it was around May of 2015, you know, how something strikes you on on the net and something popped up. And I started to watch this interview. There was an elderly gentleman there standing on the, the windswept sands of Iwo Jima. You could see Mount Suribachi in the background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he had his khaki uniform on, his railroad tracks, his captain's uniform still. And he was being interviewed. And, and of course, this grabbed my attention. I started listening. He said, I'm uh, Jerry Yellen. I flew uh, P-51s off Iwo Jima for the last six months of the air war against Japan up until the final day of the war. And he said, I flew the very final combat mission. And he went on to say not only did he fly the final combat mission on the 14th of August, 1945, or the 15th in Tokyo, 14th in the U.S., now known as BJ Day, but his young – and he was 21 at the time. His young wingman, a 19-year-old uh, – a uh, pilot named uh, First Lieutenant Phil Schlomberg, also a P-51 pilot, was apparently shot down on that same mission and became the last known combat death of the war. And uh, Jerry was talking about that I've come back. He was the only fighter pilot to, come, to return. Of course, I didn't even know because because history doesn't adequately teach the story of what happened to the Iwo Jima. We mm-hmm. learn about the Marines' great, great invasion and all the blood, sweat, and tears to take that island. But but we don't really know because it isn't really taught that it was taken as an air base. We took the island primarily to have an air base because we needed P-51s accompanying the B-29s at first, and we also needed an emergency landing field for the, the bombers and the, and the fighters coming back from Japan. So I didn't even know that. So he had come, and he was the only uh, fighter pilot able to return. You know, most had gone. In fact, he said, I've come here to stand for the men that I flew with, many who were shot down and killed uh, in the prime of their life, and many who have been passed away. I've come to stand for them and stand for Phil Schlomberg, who was the last death of the war. Hmm. And, um, and of course, most of the, by this time, the, the veterans were in their 90s. And very few veterans were there, Marines or Army Air Corps. But it, it grabbed me. And and when Jerry said, the greatest honor of my life was to serve my country, I mean, it got to me. I mean, I'm, an, I'm a Navy vet myself, you know, but, I'm, but I think all of us who have become veterans post-World War II have a special affinity for the World War II generation, just a special affinity. So I knew that, you know, I had about, I read about 11, 12 books. I knew that if I, if I had a chance to write this book, that I had to do it. So I reached out to Captain Yellen. I said, Captain, I'm Don Brown. Here's my website. I got a few books in my belt. I write in the military <laughs> genre. And um, I would love to interview you for a book. And if you'll cooperate, it'll be great. And he said, sure. And so that's up. Uh, off of a new friendship, a new relationship with a with a man who is truly an American treasure, which has been one of the greatest blessings of this whole odyssey for me. And, um, and one thing led to another. We continued to talk. I never met – I was on the phone with, with Jerry for hours and hours and hours and hours. I first met him for the first time this past spring when I finally flew down to Orlando. Jerry's in Orlando, and uh, 
and spent time with him down there. And then just uh, last week or week before last, we were in California together in Los Angeles kicking this book off. We we uh, kicked it off at the Reagan Library. We were privileged to be able to speak there and then also the Nixon Library. So it's been quite a journey for me. It's a real blessing. This was our greatest generation, although Jerry will even – play that down but it was our greatest generation and we need to honor them and we need to be to be more like them so that's what was driving me to write this i'm very blessed to have been able to write this book hmm. if you're just joining us you're listening to don brown who is uh the author of the last fighter pilot the true story of the final combat mission of world war ii it is uh, in collaboration with uh, the uh, the subject of the book Captain Jerry Yellen, who is still alive today. You just heard they were out at uh, both presidential libraries in California. But I also remind you, this comes from our sister organization with the Salem Media Group, uh, Regnery History, and uh, we are delighted to to have this story today. Now, especially for our veterans, I really want to recommend this book to you, and especially if you're a spouse of a veteran, especially either maybe still some of the uh, Army Air Corps uh, guys and gals still out there, most particularly uh, Air Force, uh, as well as other branches. This would be a great, great read to get lined up for the for the Thanksgiving uh, holiday to come ahead. Now, I, I want to go back, uh, Don Brown, just we've got about two or three minutes before we take our break here. We'll have you back after the break, and that is yeah. the idea is, is that um, Captain Jerry and his wingman, they took off to fly this mission to Tokyo while they were in flight, as I understand it, uh, the war officially came to an end. However, they were so far out, they didn't get the transmission. They didn't get the information to turn around and come back. And subsequently, his, his wingman went down. Is that pretty close to what happened here? That's correct. The 14th of August was five days after we dropped the second atomic bomb on Nagasaki. The Japanese refused to surrender, so President Truman had called the bombing off for a day or so, but then ordered us back up in the sky to resume the air assault, and you're exactly right. As they were taking off, as a matter of fact, there was an attempted coup against the emperor that morning, the morning of the 14th, by mid-level Japanese army officers who did not want to surrender at all, wanted to force us to invade. So we came back close to actually having to invade. We had no other operational bombs. Um, there was supposed to be a code broadcast, Utah, to call them back in the, in the event that there was a surrender. But as they were approaching this airfield over Tokyo, a military airfield, the emperor did come on that dual broadcast to announce uh, uh, Japan would be accepting the Potsdam Accord, which meant unconditional surrender. But Yellen and Somberg did not hear that. They executed dive mm. and into this uh, in, into the strafing run, into the teeth of anti-aircraft fire, attacking the military airfield. They pull up into the clouds. Captain Young comes out of the clouds, and Lucius Lomberg is gone, apparently taken down by anti-aircraft fire, and it's the last known combat death of the war. Wow. Now, when we come back, um, there's the rest of the story. And um, I, I think many of you are, understand the fact that, including my mom, more particularly my dad, I should say, uh, a lot of our veterans, they didn't talk a lot when they came back. And uh, maybe we didn't know enough to ask the type of questions that Don Brown ask of Captain Jerry Yellen. When we come back, um, so how did this profound last mission, how did that affect uh, Captain Jerry Yellen? Uh, lost his wingman. Uh, he's a young 21-year-old aviator of uh, the, the P-51s, which uh, I grew up just idolizing 
uh, those old war birds. When we come back, Don Brown's going to share just a few more minutes. Not going to tell you everything to, to be a spoiler for the book, but we're going to share with you a little bit about uh, how was it for the captain when he came back stateside all of these years. Again, we're talking about a book I'm recommending today, The Last Frontier, excuse me, The Last Fighter Pilot, the true story of the final combat mission of World War II. Don Brown, author, is my guest. Coming up, uh, more of the story on The Bill Bunkley Show. Don't go away, because we'll be right back. AM 930, The Answer. Online at am930theanswer.com. AM 930, The Answer. Sports, brought to you by Shoot Straight Tampa. The Rays open up a homestand tonight against the Seattle Mariners at Tropicana Field. Rays manager Kevin Cash says after dropping three out of four in Toronto, the team is definitely struggling. Hopefully win, because they're they're frustrated. Uh, We're all frustrated. Uh, I think it's very fair to be frustrated right now, so I'm not really concerned with whether it mounts or not. we got to win games. Buccaneers will have a couple of days off before they get back to work next week, preparing for Saturday's preseason home opener against the Cleveland Browns at the... Raymond James Stadium. Tampa Bay Rowdies are in action tomorrow night. They'll face Ottawa at 7.30 at Al Lang Field in St. Petersburg. And Tampa, Clearwater, Bradenton, and Dunedin all in action tonight in the Florida State League. That's your sports update. I'm Paul Porter. News, insight, passion. AM 930, The Answer. This is Michael Medved for townhall.com. Following the horrible events in Charlottesville, Virginia, the public seems deeply alarmed at the deep and dangerous divisions in the country. But what are the substantive issues that actually divide the United States? When it comes to hate festivals staged by neo-Nazis and the KKK, there's virtually no disagreement. Nearly every American, left or right, and certainly including President Trump, strongly condemns the racial extremism of such fringe groups. But all sides also agree they have a right to rally if they avoid encouraging or practicing violence. Meanwhile, overwhelming majorities of Americans support more economic growth, tax reform that lowers rates, better border security, health care reform that maximizes choice and slows the rise in premiums, a stronger military, and a cautious foreign policy. While the media love to dramatize bitter feuds over the president's personality on more substantive questions of policy, Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and leftists are hardly as polarized as the most hysterical voices on all sides love to suggest. I'm Michael Medved. With the SRN News Business Brief, I'm Rich Thomason. Wall Street stocks bounced around today, moving between modest gains and small losses. The key averages did end the day in the red. Foot Locker and smaller rival Hibbert Sports report a drop in sales in the latest quarter. Both also offer gloomy outlooks for the rest of the year. The Labor Department says hiring increased in 11 states last month. There was strong job growth in several states, including California, Florida, and Pennsylvania. On Wall Street today, stocks ended lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 76 points. The Blue Chip Index ending the day and the trading week at 21,674. The NASDAQ Composite Index was down 5 points. And the S&P 500 Index 4 points lower at today's closing bell. 
with business. I'm Rich Thomason. The Mike Gallagher Show. Do we have a conservative on the Supreme Court? Do we have great jobs numbers? Do we have great economic news? Do we have 1.1 million fewer Americans on food stamps under Trump? Did you know that? You know the media is not going to give credit where credit is due when it comes to anything related to President Trump. Weekday mornings at 9 on AM 930. The answer. AM 930. Stress saver. Traffic report. Good afternoon. 75 northbound. A slow ride around University Parkway and between State Road 64 and the Manatee River Bridge. The DeSoto Bridge has some minor northbound delays across. Tamiami Trail northbound. A little slow between 301 and 9th Avenue East. Not much to slow your ride on State Road 70 at this point. 301 northbound, though. Some delays as you approach State Road 70. University Parkway is looking good. Fruitville, Bee Ridge, and Clark Roads all in good shape. And taking a look in the Venice area, Tamiami Trail, Venice Avenue, Jack Randall Boulevard, Center Road, and Venice Bypass all moving well. Dave Kosh on FM 93.7, 102.1, and AM 930, The Answer. Welcome back to the Bill Bunkley Show, and uh, I'm excited because I want to get right back to my guest this afternoon. That's Don Brown, author of a brand new book by Regnery History, The Last Fighter Pilot, The True Story of the Final Combat Mission of World War II. And it's about Captain Jerry Yellen, who actually is uh, in Kissimmee area, and that means he's uh, in the outer reaches of our radio coverage this afternoon. So, Don, come back in here for our guests uh, who are listening today, just joining us. Uh, we're talking about the fighter pilot who flew the last mission off of Iwo Jima going into uh, Tokyo, uh, was on a P-51 bomber run. While they were in progress, he and his wingman got news that the war was over. Uh, he was in a strafing mission, came up or whatnot, got in the clouds, and his wingman wasn't there, returned to base. Talk a little bit about uh, the profound impact it had on his life, something very unique about these two gentlemen in, in that squadron, and then uh, about his life coming home and, and how he dealt with just uh, some of the depression and stuff. Sure. The last the last four months of the war were very hard on Captain Yellen, um, and, and that final mission uh, Jerry just happened to be Jewish, and he was 21 years old. He was from, the New, he was from New Jersey. A young wingman, 19-year-old Phil Schlomberg, also was Jewish. And so Jerry had taken him under his wing. All that morning, Schlomberg had a, had a, had a premonition that he wasn't going to make it. And Jerry said, look, you don't have to fly this flight without other pilots. But Schlomberg refused to take himself out. Jerry went to the CEO and said, Skipper, you know, take him out. Uh, take Schlomberg out. Schlomberg would not take him out. The only way for him to be relieved of the mission would be if the if the company if the uh, if the flight surgeon uh, gave got him off the hook. Schlomberg wouldn't have it. So they they go into this flight. They execute the flight, and of course they did not know the war was over. They go into the strafing mission, come back up, and when Jerry comes out of the clouds, he sees Phil's gone. He has to get back. He has to fly back. It is a four hour flight one way, oh. and it's and strapped in a P fifty one. He's running low on fuel. When Jerry lands. He realizes he's, he's told the war is over, and his young friend, Phil Schlomberg, who, by the way, is the great uncle of the great actress Scarlett Johansson, 19 years old, cut down to the last, the last death of the war. So mm. Jerry lost his wingman. He lost two other wingman, wingmen excuse me, in the last three months of the war. It was very, very hard on him. So he did have post-traumatic stress. In those days, of course, it was called shell shock, or it was called battle fatigue. It was called shell shock in World War One. And it went years and years and years and never talked about it, like so many of our veterans don't. I think so many of the reasons so many veterans don't is because it's just too painful. Mm-hmm. But the thing that began to sort of change things with Jerry was that he had a young – he had a, his four sons. One of his sons uh, went to Japan for a year of 
work and study later on and met a Japanese girl. Well, you can see where this is going. Uh, oh, Jerry's my. son fell in love with a Japanese girl, <laughs> and the girl's father was a kamikaze pilot. Oh, stars! Mm. Yeah, and they had to they had to face one another, and and that was the beginning of the healing process when Jerry is finally able to begin to start talking about some of this. But his life is a story afterwards of reconciliation. I mean, the reconciliation of two old hated enemies, um, and an understanding that we're all equal in God's sight. Amen. And also, he is—he's been very, very diligent in speaking out and helping young uh, military veterans who have been suffering from post-traumatic stress, particularly in Afghanistan and Iraq. So, although Jerry is best known, Captain Yell is best known for his great historic flight, and I'm so grateful that Regnery and that you, Bill, and others are giving us an opportunity to to write to to finish the final chapter of the war that somehow had dropped through the cracks all these years. Even after that great historic flight, he continues to serve his country by, by, by supporting young PTSD victims who have served our country. And, um, and you can only imagine, you, you, unless you've experienced it, you can't understand what PTSD is about. It's a horrible thing, but Jerry gives his life for that uh, today. Mm. I want to just remind our friends, <clears throat> many friends listening who are part of the wing, the refueling wing at MacDill, also Special Operations Central Command, know that... Uh, regular listeners to our program, and uh, to those, uh, especially all up and down U.S. 19, especially up in uh, Port Ritchie, Newport Ritchie, just the the thousands of veterans in the area. Again, I want to highly recommend you get your personal copy. This is so inspiring. And uh, Don Brown has just uh, brought out such an amazing story that we're not going to spoil it. We're just giving you some of the highlights. The book is called The Last Fighter Pilot, The True Story of the Final Combat Mission of World War II. Uh, Don Brown is the author. It's the story of Captain Jerry Yellen. And uh, i got to tell you, when you get your copy, just to see the picture of the captain on, uh, on, on the back of the book, uh, as far as the, the book cover, as um, I think it was probably on his flight uh, for this uh, regathering at Iwo Jima, uh, the World War II had his flight jacket and certainly aged a lot more than his picture on the front of the cover of the book. Uh, I want to tell you that this is one story that you want to have uh, in your library. And uh, Don Brown, we're out of time, but uh, as always, um, man, you have just been an inspiration to our program this afternoon. Thank you for the fine work you did. Glad you were watching TV or whatever it was that day that planted this seed and the fact that uh, you had the dog in this to get this done. Thank you for a very fine work. My pleasure. Thanks for bringing this uh, for bringing this to light. Thanks for having me in the Bay Area. My best to all the men and women of McDill and CENTCOM. I salute you all. Thank you for your service. All right. Get busy on the next one now. We're working. Thanks. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Again, highly recommend right now The Last Fighter Pilot, The True Story, The Final Combat Mission of World War II. you got to get this one, written by Don Brown, story of Captain Jerry Yellen, and imagine the last mission of World War II in the Pacific out of Iwo Jima. Midway through, they didn't get the word that the war was over. They continue their mission. Uh, when they get done taking incoming uh, flak, they head up in the clouds. And uh, Jerry's by himself, and he has to come home. Well, more of the Bill Bunkley Show coming up in the next hour. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
So AM 930, The Answer, WLSS, Sarasota, FM 103.1, W276CR, Bradenton, and FM 93.7, W229BR, Bayshore Gardens. This report is brought to you by the Bullet Hall of Sarasota. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Chief Strategist Steve Bannon is leaving the Trump administration. The White House says Bannon and Chief of Staff John Kelly mutually agreed today would be Bannon's last day. Bannon was a key Trump campaign advisor and has been a contentious presence in a divided White House, falling in and out of favor with the president several times amid competing West Wing factions. Earlier this week, the president declined to give Bannon a public show of support. We'll see what happens with Mr. Bannon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.